how are you doing people welcome back to another episode of lttk let's toast to knowledge with olola day and like you already know now i am doing cultural series taking you on a journey with people from different countries and in today's episode guess the country we're going to dun, 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 <laughs> i'm super excited to introduce you guys to kenya and for this i have a friend of mine called wendo wendo is with me here so hi wendo how are you hey. Welcome. thank you thank you i felt so excited when you're announcing kenya <laughs> that's good i mean i had to bring you know the vibes into the conversation so people can mm-hmm. really be excited you know what i mean yeah so yes. thank you for joining in today's episode and to start it off can you please introduce yourself great hi everyone i'm feeling so famous right now my name <laughs> is wendo that's my preferred name but i have uh, several other names so my full names are christine wendo kingani kibugi so which one do you want to begin with <laughs> okay um maybe we should start with wendo because i remember this would be just like a, a joke right because i met you when we joined you know the university for our master's program and when you introduced yourself as wendo i remember people were saying window like as if yeah the window <laughs> yeah so, this germans i don't know i'm getting baptized a lot window vendo window when you know it goes everywhere yeah mm-hmm. yeah so tell me about wendo what does wendo mean so the name wendo in my tribe so i come from a tribe called kikuyu in kenya mm-hmm. it's the largest tribe in kenya um uh, and my name means love so wendo Aww. is love Aww. yeah <laughs> what a lovely name oh thank you <laughs> but coincidentally also in another language wendo means visitor so depending on who i'm speaking to they don't know where i'm from exactly <laughs> wait do you mean another language kenyan language yes ah. Indo, which is another big kenyan language my name means visitor interesting so you have to be like specifically my name means this because this is where i come from mm-hmm. yeah okay. and then kibugi what does kibugi mean all right so Kibugi is my husband's name. So that's the name that I took on now when I got married. And for him in his tribe it doesn't mean much, but my grandma told me that uh, my dad's mom now, she told me that it means it's the the cow of a bell. You know how you bell a cow mm-hmm. so that you know where it is. So that thing is called a kifuhi kibugi. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's the bell of a cow. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, quite <laughs> random. Yeah. And the other name which is Kingangi is my dad's name and Kingangi means crocodile. Okay. So <laughs> oh, total like, I am a loving visitor crocodile cowbell. It seems that there's a lot of animals that surround yes. names in Kenya. It seems so. <laughs> no, Who named you? Who named you Wendo? Okay. <laughs> so first you named your name after your grandparents. Mm-hmm. But the order is that we name first using the man's side and then now the woman's side. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm named after like my mom, my dad's mom, my grandma on my dad's side. 
So mm-hmm. on that side, we don't name, you don't have to name the child exactly like the mother. You can just maybe take a character trait. So my grandma loves people. She loves visitors. She helps orphans. She's a very loving person. So they felt it fit to name me love after her nature. So that's how I got my, my name. This is very, very insightful. For me now, for example, I think if I remember what my parents told me, my grandmother, or my, my dad's mom, was the one that named me Ololade, and Afolake was the name my parents gave to me. So I'm bearing, I'm taking the name that my grandma named me. Okay. Yeah, but I will say that that's specific to my tribe. Other tribes have different naming cultures. Some name according to the time of day you were born. So if you were born in the morning, if you were born in the rainy season, mm-hmm. if you were born maybe when there was a drought. I, so there are other ways people name, but mm-hmm. the tribe where I'm from, which is Kikuyu, that's the order after grandparents. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, naming is a very important aspect of the culture, I think, and it just reflects how people see things in that culture. So now, moving on to food. Hmm. What's the most common food eating in Kenya? Yeah, so in Kenya, we're an agricultural economy, which means we grow a lot of food that we eat. The most common food, the most, the staple food is maize. So there are a number of meals that can be made with maize. First, you can just eat it as it is, or you can mix it with beans, it's called gideri, or you can grind, you can dry the maize and then grind it into a flour. Then that flour, you cook it in hot water and it forms a, what I can only describe as a very stiff porridge. So it's like, <laughs> almost like, I think Nigerian fufu, but very, it's like tougher. It's, it's not wobbly or softish, mm-hmm. it's more solid. And that I think is like the, easiest and one of the cheaper meals and eaten across the country. Other than that, uh, we have just the regulars, the rice. We do a lot of legumes, so like the beans, green grams. Um, wow, they sounded a lot more in my head. Yeah, uh, <laughs> definitely the livestock. We have beef and goat and chicken, mm-hmm. a, a bit of fish. Fish is mostly localized to where to areas that are near water body. So if you're not near the water body, it's not so common. Oh, really? Uh, pork. Yeah, it's not so common. Like if, I mean, you might go look for it, but it's expensive by the time it travels all the way. You're just like, is it worth it? But if you like it, you'll buy it. Mm-hmm. But it's not so widespread. It's funny that you mentioned pork because, you know, here in Germany, pork is like, they are very, like, very common, cheap. It's like, it's they're throwing away. You know? And in Nigeria, I don't even know if I ever ate pork. Maybe I did, but I probably didn't know that it was pork. What we usually yeah. in my family was, you know, normal beef, chicken, and fish. And you mentioned fish is just for those who live in the riverine areas. For us, fish was like, yeah. The, the, you know, there are different types of fish. Of course, you have the one that is very expensive, but you could also get like the cheap fish. The affordable one, yeah. Mackerel or yeah, mackerel, titus, tilapia. Those ones were like or are very affordable, and you get it like like basically everywhere though. Yeah. So if you tell me about the food, the one that you said feels like fufu, how like what do you eat it with? Is it like do you do like a soup or something, or you just eat it like that? 
Okay, so um, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, everything depends on your budget, but <laughs> so once you have the ugali, you can either, the most common thing to eat it with is either spinach or um, traditional vegetables, which are like spinach, but they're different varieties. Mm-hmm. So like kale and then mm-hmm. others that are more traditional, they don't even have English names. I think one is called amaran. Yeah, so they have the traditional leaves that you can eat it with. So mm-hmm. you have that. Uh, if you want to improve on that, you can add some meat to it. So chicken, beef, pork, any kind of meat, you just fry it and you eat them together. Mm-hmm. That's the most common combination. Okay, a very good combination actually for people, especially from the lake side, is they love ugali and fish. It goes really well. So mm-hmm. that one is also quite popular. Just fish, just fish. Yeah, yeah. You deep fry it, and then maybe you can do a sauce or something. Ah, but sauce. Ugalian fish is okay. Yum, <laughs> yum. Ah, you're making me homesick. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. Let's change the topic. Let's talk about language. <laughs> What's the official language in Kenya, and what are the like popular languages? Which one do you speak? Yeah. The official languages of Kenya are English and Swahili. So we conduct our, lang- our learning and everything in English, and then life and everything else is done in Swahili. Or now a slang of Swahili, which is called Sheng. And now with slang, you know slang really varies from where you are. So there's even some slang that I don't understand. It's too deep, but, <laughs> but it changes everywhere. Um, other major languages would be maybe the larger groups. So you find like Kikuyu is a very big group. So many people speak Kikuyu. It's also considered to be like the language of business because Kikuyus like business a lot. So most of the time you'll find the other ones in that sector. So if you know a little Kikuyu, you can, you know, bargain a bit more than I tell. Did you mention that you're also Kikuyu? So I'm Kikuyu by marriage. Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah, so I've adopted that. My my new tribe is not Kikuyu. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so which, ones, which ones do you speak? Which which languages? Apart from English. So, yeah, English and Swahili. I speak those. And ambition Deutsch. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay, girl. All right. <laughs> uh, as for Kikuyu, unfortunately, I am a city kid. I hear, but if I respond, you'll think I'm speaking Chinese. It's it's really not good, but you can't, you can't like steal from me. I'll know what you're saying. <laughs> it's my Kikuyu is not really good. Okay, so I just want to have a sense of the Swahili language. So could you introduce mm-hmm. yourself to me in Swahili? No, first, introduce yourself again in English. So who you are, what you currently do, and maybe one fun thing about you, and then say the exact thing in Swahili. So people can, you know, put both languages side by side, like after one another. Ah, Mendo, what are you writing? <laughs> you know I'm organized. I need to put my He's <laughs> <laughs> writing. <laughs> All right. So that I don't forget to translate. So in English, I would say, um, do I introduce myself to you or to your viewers? <laughs> or your listeners? Anyone is fine. All right. Uh, good morning, afternoon, night. 
Everyone, my name is Wendo Kibugi. I come from Kenya and I am currently a master's student in Ilmenau studying communication. One interesting thing about me is that my favorite fruit is sugarcane, uh, if that is a fruit. <laughs> sugarcane and mangoes. Mm. Okay, okay, now it's washing. My gosh, I hope I don't embarrass my countrymen here. <laughs> I... <laughs> no worries. Hey, if it's bad, please, you just cut this question. Anyway, so, Shikamo, jina langu ni wendo kibugi, natoka Kenya. Kwa sasa mimi ni mwanafunzi, ukutiu ilmenao na nasomea Masters in Communication. Uh, tunda langu ambalo napenda zaidi ni miwa na maembe. Yeah. Oh, na maembe. Wait, so you see that? I feel like what you introduced in English was longer than what you introduced in, in Swahili. I, I think I might have. <laughs> it's so weird for me to speak for more Swahili because we speak so much. I think we're really polluting the language. So sometimes it's hard to remember. But I, I think I captured basically the same things because I just captured the same thing. What I do it means that English has too many words. <laughs> <So, laughs> or I know how to express myself better in English. That's possibly it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But in any case, it was really nice to hear what Swahili sounds like. So maybe if I come across anybody who speaks it, I may be able to point out. Okay, Wendo sounded a little bit like this, so maybe this person. Yeah. So let's talk about marriage you're married in it so how is marriage seen in kenya and really what's the process for getting married and let's even look at you since you are married like for you was your marriage process traditional or was it a bit westernized because you know that western culture is kind of influencing some of the cultural realities that we have in africa so tell me about that yeah, so I think <clears throat> the perception of marriage in Kenya is pretty much the same as it is in Africa. So you're expected to, you know, go to school, graduate from university, get married, get children. The life path is quite similar to what's expected in Africa generally. So marriage is considered very important. Um, you're kind of... <laughs> semi judged and frowned upon if you're not married at a certain age you know what's that age so i think these days if you get past 30 you get you get some suspicious looks people are offering prayers you know hooking you up <laughs> prayer, prayer points people are asking what's happening you know so from i think the age has moved it used to be like early 20s but now i think because people more people are going to campus doing masters so the age has moved up a bit but beyond 30 you'll find your your parents or your aunties are getting nosy and a bit concerned um, <clears throat> so there is that expectation to be married uh, for me i would say i got married within their time span that was <laughs> expected of culture but it's just because i, I have somebody not because i was really following it so um for me as i said i'm married so I, we got married when we were 20 will you calculate eh, maybe you'll calculate my age and age is a secret no but no <laughs> that's, that's, that's another interesting thing about 
African culture. I think we very we we are very guided about our ages. We don't say it out, but here and I don't know why. Yeah, you would even see someone putting on their Instagram page their age. And Imagine. You. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I really don't know why I'm getting it, but anyway, so we I, we got married when we were 26. <laughs> I wanted you to continue to guard it, Neil. You didn't have to say it. <laughs> no, it's fine. It it doesn't make sense. It's just one of those things, but it's okay. Yeah, so what's what's the process? What was the process for you guys? Like, you know, was it traditional? How how did it work? You know, were parents very much involved from the very beginning? Just tell me about it. Okay, so marriage, of course, varies according to the different tribes in Kenya. But Mm -hmm. I'll share about the one I know most, which is Kikuyu, because that's that's the process that we went through for our marriage. So our wedding process was um, a hybrid of western and traditional so the reason it was a hybrid is sometimes the traditional things are a bit against the christian beliefs so you find like modern christians try to find a way to keep the culture but still not do everything so mine was kind of that kind of a hybrid mm-hmm. so for our wedding we had <laughs> We had five events before the ceremony, before the actual wedding day. Five. <laughs> <laughs> now, my parents really love people and they love to party, so that's that's why. But many people condense to maybe three or two. But we had the whole five events, <clears throat> separate events. We we did all those events over span of one year. All that was just pre-wedding events. Okay, tell me about it. Okay, so the first event is where the man shows interest in the girl. So the groom comes with a few of his friends and comes to the father's family, like to now my dad's family. My dad gathers himself and his brothers, and then my husband now tells him, oh, I'm interested in a girl here. Uh, What do you advise me? (laughs) And so they discuss, they say, okay, so you found someone. Go and come back with your parents. So the groom goes, now that's one event, and that was a whole day, not a five-minute affair. That was a whole day. <laughs> so the groom goes back, tells his family, I saw a girl in another homestead, and they told me to come and get you and take you to them. So now the groom comes with his family to meet my family, the bride's family. Mm-hmm. That's, so it's that's kind of like, that. now this is step two. Okay. So this second meeting is almost like an introduction. I think it's kind of like to make sure you, you don't marry your cousins or something, you know? <laughs> so you come, <laughs> tell your family line, where are you guys from? So you get to know a bit about each other's family and say, okay, that's fine enough. I don't think we're related. So then, so the bride's family tells the groom's family, okay, um, it's fine. We've seen you're interested. So come... So here, this is how we usually do our weddings. This is like the bride price that is usually given. These are the steps. So they're given instructions. Traditionally, for Kikuyu's bride price is 100 goats. Goats, like animal. Go- <laughs> 100. 100 goats. 100. What? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he goes to that <laughs> Kenya now. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. the is 100 goods, and then in addition, other gifts like household items, uh, like this 
lessons for the women and so there's a list of items so the family is given that list of items now the interesting thing about kikuyu tradition is that as a groom you're not expected to pay the whole bride price it's almost considered rude if you pay all of it if you just show us eh hey, we've bought your girl it's considered rude so they say which means like um paying dowry doesn't end so just pay us something and then you owe us for life so you kind of like you, you can pay slowly slowly but if you never make another installment no one will ask you so they tell you you go gather how many goats you have and whatever and then we meet for a third event so <laughs> the third event is called the rorashio now mm-hmm. the rorashio is bringing the bride price that you brought now in modern times of course nobody brings a goat so you'd bring maybe some money equivalent to that yeah. so during the this third event the bride and her friends are like wrapped up in clothes and then the groom has to guess who his bride is without seeing much of her if you get it wrong you have to pay a fine Oosh. and <laughs> yeah it's a lot of pressure if you get it right then we can go to once you get it right now the elders go and discuss the bride price in the house they engage and discuss and agree and they say great we are happy traditionally by that point you're married uh, you should just you know move on with your life mm-hmm. but if you're going on with the whole white wedding thing you continue to other events so that was number three three yeah Okay so number so by that time you're traditionally married so number 4 is the girl being taken to the groom's home so that she can see where she's going to be living hypothetically uh to see the homestead you know so it's called anitara <clears throat> you go you're shown where the kitchen is this is where we store our food this is how we do things here so you're going to like you're being introduced to your new home mm-hmm. so that's another full day event um and then the last event is the day before the wedding the groom's family must bring drinks to the girl's family so if you're not believers it will be like alcohol soda soup beer anything but mm-hmm. for us it was just sodas because we don't drink so that's the day before the wedding and then now the normal white wedding so we had a normal where you go to church have a ceremony with the pastor and then a reception where you eat and you know communicate with other people mm-hmm. so in total we had six events for the five events each event had like a total of 100 guests or more so this is a lot it's a big financial burden and then the wedding was huge because our parents are popular so we had planned for 800 but we got 1200 and it was crazy <laughs> crazy it looks like a political rally you couldn't even tell <laughs> they absorbed all the decorations there were so many people <laughs> but that that was our wedding journey it's, we just let go of the numbers thing because it was important to my folks so I was just like you know what have fun with it <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you mentioned this thing about numbers because first of all first of all Can we just take a minute to appreciate the unique Kenyan culture? Please can you clap? <laughs> and I guess like more please clap for us. <laughs> wow, six events, five. That's really really expensive if I if I can I can just imagine. And then it's a yeah. lot of process. Who does so? So wait, before I um lose my train of thought, I just wanted to ask is this what is done typically? or now people just keep 
the one, two, three, four, and maybe just do white wedding and court wedding, for example, in today's week. Yeah. So it depends. If if like my parents really like this gathering things, and mm-hmm. my dad was so insistent, so I was just like, and because they offered to pay for it, I was like, ah, do as you please. Nah. But sometimes you find that bad is on the couple and they're like we don't have money for six events okay mm-hmm. so you just do one where you do everything from the beginning to the yeah. end yeah. or maybe two if you feel it's not enough time mm-hmm. so it's not i wouldn't say it's typical to have the five events mm-hmm. two or three is more typical or even one yeah popular is two or three even okay all right so kudos to your family for going to <laughs> <laughs> and let yeah. me just Really talk about how it is in, in my own culture, Yoruba, because I mean, Nigeria is a very big country with multiple cultural realities. But where I come from, the Yoruba tribe, I think that traditionally, right, there's the introduction where both families are introduced, then the engagement ceremony where they are traditionally married, and then because of course western influence we now have like the white wedding and all of that but it's interesting that you mentioned the numbers because i think that my cultural people yoruba people we like parts ah! mm. <laughs> we love it we live for party and numbers when you are the one getting married but Half of the people there at the event, you don't know. You have no idea. Absolutely no idea. Someone you invite, maybe you invite a friend. A friend invites another friend. Who brings another friend? It's so common. Yeah. I've gone to so many weddings where I've gone with a friend of a friend. I don't even know who is getting (laughs) bad manners, but it's so common. It's so common. That's the, that's the, that's the, should I say a thing that we share Nigeria, well, Nigerian Yoruba culture and Kenyan mm. culture because I don't want to generalize. Like I said, yeah, it's very big and in Igbo land, Igbo culture, I'm not sure how they do it. So, enough of marriage. Let's talk about burial when people die. How is it carried out in Kenya? Okay, so of course, as with everything, it varies with culture. Mm-hmm, with the tri- uh, yeah with the tribe so i would say there are in my opinion <laughs> there are two tribes that are on the extreme so there's a kikuyu on this side that conducts funerals in one way and what i feel is quite opposite is like the Luo tribe so the kikuyu where i come from we it's like we grieve very quickly so if someone dies we bury them sooner rather than later so you find maybe they'll have um, grieving ceremonies for a week or two weeks maximum. <clears throat> and two weeks is a very long time unless there was maybe a medical bill. So there'll be, during that period, you know, the visit with the family, planning for the funeral. But a funeral ideally is a very cost efficient endeavor. It's not anything fancy. You're just trying to get the bare minimum where things work. It's not extravagant. And I would say <laughs> very carefully, tongue in cheek, that I feel like Kikuis are afraid of dead bodies because we don't like to interact with the body <laughs> like at the funeral. 
So even if you want to view the body, you have to come to like the funeral at like 6 a.m. before the funeral starts. If you don't come at that time, you cannot view the body again. <laughs> <laughs> I usually laugh with Joseph. I just say, I think we're afraid of dead bodies. So, and it's not everyone who views. So it's only if you're like super attached and want to view, then you go. So typically you just maybe take the body from the funeral home, have a church service where people give tributes and all that. Then proceed to the gravesite where you do the rituals. And then after that, you have food. And I usually joke that the food in funerals is supposed to reflect how you feel. So it's not really good food, it's bad food. Well, okay, it's not bad food, it's just, you know, you're not not supposed to be happy. It's like you're supposed to eat the sadness, you know? So the food is just food, yeah? So I and I find that funny because on the contrary, the lupus, first of all, they grieve for very long. You can find they have this mourning process for a month. I'm like, what are you doing for a month? Stopping your whole life for a month. <laughs> but they grieve for long visiting with each other, you know, comforting. Um, so that goes on for maybe two weeks to one month. Mm-hmm. Secondly, they are not afraid of dead bodies. Oh my gosh. As an adult, the first funeral I went to from that community, hi, I was traumatized. I was looking for something. <laughs> hey, me who is afraid of body, who runs away from bodies in funerals? Now, in the Luo culture, they, they, they keep the body in the casket, but it's open. So people come and talk to the body, you know, hug, cry, have a snack with them. Like some interaction that is not very normal. <laughs> I found that so weird. Meanwhile, I'm looking for paths that pass like away from the body, sort of nowhere near that body. So they feel very free with the body. Even in some tribes, they say the if it's a widow or a widower, they should sleep with the body the day before the funeral. It's craziness, yeah. craziness. <laughs> <laughs> so they have a very interesting relationship with dead bodies. That is, is not very common amongst <laughs> So, and then they do the normal, you know, service, um, goodbyes. But the funny thing is, is, they do, I would say, sometimes very clash weddings. So you can find a funeral budget is so big, and the person did not have medical bills, and it's not making sense to you. <laughs> so they have good food with. So like so much food and variety and it's delicious and I remember that first funeral I felt so guilty for enjoying the food it's like how can you serve such beautiful food this is not a wedding you're supposed to eat like sad food to reflect how you feel <laughs> but they eat lavishly and they eat a lot and they celebrate the life and that was quite contrary um, oh yeah and one more difference I find is that Kipuyus don't cry very loudly like you'll find they'll try to be very composed and keep it together one or two people might lose control but generally they're all quite composed <laughs> while on the other hand I think if people don't scream at your grave it means people didn't love you so when people are coming to the homestead they start crying from the main road so you hear whales approaching they come all the way wailing they enter the house rolling on the ground Ah, dust, everything. <laughs> it's a holy event. 
telling you I needed counseling after I had not experienced it before. <laughs> so they they will passionately and freely. And I I know I think there's there's some maybe there's some benefit to it in terms of closure because for us I feel we really suck it up, but they mm-hmm. just cry and wail for days and hours and sometimes even in that tribe there's, there's the people who you can hire called professional mourners so they come and really cry eh? and roll in the dust for your loved one yeah I, think I, 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 I heard about that maybe through Inugu. yeah mm. yeah it's, it's quite mm. a strange thing you hire people to come and cry and mourn and because <laughs> it's just so when people see someone crying they're like oh wow this guy was really loved Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's <laughs> now every other tribe I feel falls somewhere within that line mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the middle of those, but those are the two extremes in my opinion. Yeah, thanks for really explaining that. I think for me, from my understanding, if I look at the the way it is practiced in, in Nigeria, I can only speak for two tribes that I know of. So the Hausa tribe, the Hausas mm-hmm. bury the dead body are dead bodies I think before the sun goes down so if the person wow. dies in the morning they just there's no ceremony they just really take the body to to the burial ground and cover it with the white clothes and you know bury nothing fancy really mm. but it can vary so there are, there are times when maybe the children of the diseased are not around so i guess in those instances they have to like work out something how how fast the people can get to the dead body and bury their dead you know so but on the other hand in yoruba culture i think it is more diverse and it depends on the age of the person who died if it is an old person there is a whole grieving ceremony. See that extreme that you mentioned? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is it. They can mourn for one month, two months, like it depends what. I'm telling you, sometimes they will keep they will keep the body in, they will cremate it, um, embalm it or something, keep it in the mortuary. And then they will, there will be a period where they will bring the body, the dead body, in a beautiful casket they have to buy depending on how well the person lived you know they have to really really make it amazing so they'll purchase really nice clothes perfume spray the dead the dead has to really you know <laughs> my grandfather i think you know after dressing him they put his bible because he really loved his bible so they put it on his on his chest and he held it you know and then he was laid in the house or I can't remember because that happened like years ago but I remember his body was open for people to go and look and just you know (laughs) just see him and see everything and be going and I remember (laughs) I stood and I was looking at my dead grandpa I was looking (laughs) yeah even touching him so there's this event and then after the burial it's like a celebration of life so they believe the person has lived for long the person especially when the person is an old person so they celebrate they call musicians it could even be live bands you know to come yeah. and play and then people will be dancing eating hey, please. <laughs> <laughs> what i'm telling you this is it's, it's a glamorous it, it has even gotten to the extent that you know like nowadays there's even souvenir you know when you come to an event you get something 
to go back like maybe a, a maybe a mug celebration of life yeah. with this picture things like that too and it's even getting sophisticated by the years i'm telling you but if the person if the person was young you know didn't live so so old then yeah you know, it's quicker it's quicker it's more like the quick morning that you mentioned in yeah he kakinu Yoruba, you're a good mix of Kikuyu and Luo. It's like you you get to how you know how to blend it yeah. <laughs> to use it for the yeah. best. Nice. It depends. It depends on the who died, how long they lived, and the circumstances surrounding the death. So yeah. yeah. So let's talk about um, gender roles. How is gender roles perceived in Kenya? Who does what? Yeah. So I must warn that I am an urbanite. I grew up in the city. I visit the village, so I will mostly comment on what I see in the city. Of course. Yeah. So definitely, I would say Kenya as a culture is trying to kind of beat traditional gender roles, because obviously there's the assumption of okay, the patriarchal society where you find the man is above all, you know. So the man works. And he comes home to his wife, who cooks and cleans and takes care of the children, 100 of them, and does everything. Um, but then you find now times changed, and women started going to work. But then they were still expected to carry out the same roles as if they were not working. So you still go for an eight to five, and you come home, and you still have all these responsibilities. In the rural settings, I would say that's pretty much how it still continues. But in the city, you find uh, people are becoming like more woke. So you find women are like, uh, "Excuse me, this house we live together. <laughs> we are going to share responsibilities." Yes. Yeah. So you find couples agreeing and saying, "We share chores. We both go to work. We we make it work." Mm-hmm. Now, I I will say it's not too common because there's like toxic masculinity. There are men who say they can't even pass out in the kitchen. You know, they use alternate routes in the house. Kitchen is for the woman, but I would say that's an outdated perspective. More and more men are like realizing that you can't be expected, especially like for Joseph and I when we lived in Kenya, we used to go to work together and come back together. So we are in in and out of this door at the exact same time. I don't have any extra time where I came and did magical things, you know. So if we are arriving at 8 p.m., there's no food. There was no tea. I've also just arrived. So. <laughs> So you find for us for me who is an urbanite my husband and I agreed and we share chores um there are things where we just decided life doesn't have to be difficult so like laundry you know in Kenya it's still very common to wash with your hands and that takes hours you know <laughs> and it's a lot of work please so i just decided it's not that important either get a washing machine or pay someone to do it you know nobody has to do it that's four hours of our lives we'll never get back mm-hmm. so you find maybe couples agree on having someone clean the house for them then they just take care of day to day so there's there's arrangements but i would say it's becoming a bit more modern but i i, I would be hesitant to say that's a prevailing perspective because i think people on social media are always just saying things but you don't know what they're doing at home so <laughs> you might just find some people still stick to the patriarchy but i would say there's a bigger push at least among my friends i know I don't know any man who just sits on his throne. Among my friends, all the men help out and chip in yeah. and build the home yeah. together. 
So I guess at the end of the day, it depends on who you marry and just having an understanding. But maybe more traditionally, it's still kind of patriarchal. Yeah, especially if you marry someone who is traditional. There's this tribe who their men don't carry the children. They don't touch those children. That's the woman's work. And if he hears you saying, I woke up to feed them, you woke up to do it. Why are you touching the child? (laughs) They don't interact with the child. That's not his responsibility. He pays school fees and buys clothes and yeah. So it, it varies on the person you marry and what you agree. And I think those are the things I tell people. Just make sure you know before you get married. Don't get married, then you start telling them you know where you No, just agree before. So that if someone can't change, mm-hmm. you just leave them alone or you go with it. One of the two. You hardly ever change, really. Yeah. So you have to understand each other before and agree that how is this thing going to be? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this tiny contract <laughs> because yeah, it's literally like read the terms and conditions because yeah. you know what you can find sometimes because my parents are pretty woke but not that woke so sometimes I can see their disapproving looks when like my husband is helping me out so sometimes we pretend when they're around and you know I just act like a super submissive wife who's doing everything but I know like he's the one who helped me or in the village they I, Joseph can't be allowed in the kitchen. Men can't be allowed. So when you go to the village, I just clean the door. I stick in the kitchen. But when we come home, we run our home the way we want. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just like, because I'm just like, wow, there are so many things that, you know, our culture has kind of defined for us. And mm-hmm. it would take an understanding person to just walk around it so yeah. I like the fact that you already understand your culture so you know when you go to the village this is what you need to do but yeah. and just understand that when you get back to your home you switch no it's it's really insightful and interesting to know so let's talk about like misconceptions about kenyans is there any misconception that you think should be addressed here and now? Ah, Kenyans are an interesting lot. I think most of the misconceptions that I've encountered personally are from people in the U.S., honestly, because I found there's a time I was in the U.S. for about a six-month period, and I was just busting myths daily, and it's exhausting. But I found, like, in, in Germany, nobody really cares. But nobody is so presumptive, like, oh, do you live with the animals kind of thing. So I haven't encountered <laughs> that kind of nonsense here. But in the U.S., like, you'd find a whole professor is asking me how I know English. And I'm like, did you think I learned it on the plane? Or, like, what, what are you asking me? How do I know? How do you know English? The same way you know it's the same way I know. What do you mean? So if I have a very backdated view... <laughs> of Africa as a whole and Kenya, but maybe a conception about Kenya. Okay, some people used to think like all of us run. I assure you, we are not all runners. I can barely <laughs> run. Another thing in East Africa, we are like, the, we are the Nigerians of East Africa. So Kenyans are considered very shrewd, you know? They see business opportunities, grab, 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 and they're very fast and they can do whatever to get it. Mm-hmm. So. That's how Nigerians are perceived in East Africa. And now within East Africa, we are perceived like Nigerians. (laughs) 
so very quick with business chap 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 love money mm-hmm. uh, so it's half true half not true because it just depends on who you meet yeah i mean it's it's so varied it's so hard to classify a whole country yeah yeah so speaking of classification would you classify yourself as a true representation of culture in kenya I am a true representation of an urban child, you know. <laughs> I'm an urban girl. I am a picture perfect of a city girl. <laughs> and there's a case to be made that city life is a is a culture on its own because we have our own way of doing things and mm-hmm. that's different from the people in the village. So I would say I'm a true representation of an urbanite. So where in Kenya did you live? You've been saying I'm a city girl, I'm a city girl. Uh-huh. So I was born and raised in the city which is Nairobi, the capital city. Okay. Mm-hmm. So everywhere we've lived is within Nairobi. We only go to the village once or twice, maybe three times a year. Mm-hmm. So really there I'm a visitor. But <laughs> <laughs> but in the city city Nairobi I understand. Nairobi is home. <laughs> oh, I I can relate. I'm also a city girl. But mm-hmm. It's been really nice. Maybe one more question that you did not expect, but I'm still going to ask Agnes. Describe the Kenyan flag for me, please. Okay, so the Kenyan flag. The Kenyan flag is made up of four colors. Mm-hmm. So there's hey, I'm not embarrassed. Don't worry. Let me confirm I said correct. So the first color on the flag, the first stripe is black. Uh, then the, then there's a white tiny white strip in between then red then green so when we in primary school we used to say you know black people shed red blood for green land you know so i don't know if that's what it actually means or we just used to say it in primary school but it's the three colors and then in the middle is the shield so mm-hmm. it's it's a shield from a tribe called Maasai so it's like for it's like war so mm-hmm. shield and spears Mm. at this center of it so that is like our national emblem of sorts mm-hmm. so that is our flag i i, I hope i've not said wrong things here no <laughs> <laughs> so, let's just put a disclaimer here now here and now people everything we just discussed is from windows perspective and perspective reflects <laughs> the entire Kenyan culture. So this is really about her experience, her understanding and her explanation. Thank you for your understanding and your lack of judgmental attitude. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Good. So this was really fun. Thank you so much Wendo for joining in today's episode. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to listen. So on the next episode I will introduce someone else from another country. Maybe you can take a guess, but anyway, it will be impactful, insightful, educative. So guys, take care of yourselves and don't forget to toast to knowledge because what you know is never enough. Here's to learning, to growing, to sharing. Be good. Bye.